Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for this webinar. The title of it is Pursuing Conflict for Unity's Sake. My name is Rick Thomas. I'm very glad that you are here. I want to talk about that thing that's in our lives. Now, maybe it's not in your life at this moment, but it has been. I do know that, and it will be in the future if the Lord uh, chooses to extend your days for another week or so, and that is conflict. It happens because you can't live in a fallen world and not experience conflict with another fallen individual. It, it would be like putting on a white suit and walking through the desert and expecting not to get dirty. It just won't happen. The nature of the beast, the nature of the situation is we're going to have conflict. That's why this webinar is one of the most important ones that you can hear. And I trust those of you who are watching the keynote presentation that you'll benefit by the outline that you see before you as I work through it. There's others that are listening to this webinar in an audio format, and I'm very glad that we have both of those options, audio and video. For those of you who are listening by audio, uh, if you do have time, please go to our ministry's website, and you can watch this presentation, and that may benefit you even more. You can take screenshots and print off these slides that I have here. You can make copious notes and, and listen to it audibly and visually at the same time. But either way, either watching the keynote or listen to the audio presentation, I am glad that you are here. As always, if you have any questions about any of our resources that you read, listen to, or watch, uh, we have free community forums on our website, and I would find no greater joy if you just took the time to go on those forums and ask whatever question is important to you. Perhaps your question is along the lines of the topic of this webinar, conflict, and if we can serve you that way, we have a team of folks that would love to engage you. I'm one of those people as well. And so you can get on our free community forums. Get your username and your password, and you're ready to go. All of those things are free. We do have username and password, like a lot of platforms, but that keeps the spammers out, and it allows us to have a super safe website, which I'm very encouraged to, uh, to, to say to you that that is exactly uh, what we have. And so you get your username and password, and then you're good to go. Well, the reason we do this, uh, this audio presentation, the keynote presentation and video, the free community forums is because of those who underwrite our ministry. We have folks that not only benefit from what we do and the content that we create, the resources that we develop, uh, but they also are thankful that we are able to reach the world with the practical message of Jesus Christ, and they want to get behind it. It's like, yes, people need to hear these messages, and we want to make sure uh, that you are able to uh, push these resources globally so they can land in the hands and laps of, of other people. And because we operate in cyberspace through the Internet, uh, it is a beautiful thing, the redemptive use of technology. And so we do have the privilege of reaching thousands of people every week. And there will be many people that will watch this keynote. And I want you to benefit not just from the keynote, but I want you to also benefit uh, from our forums and, of course, the other resources on our site. They're all free. They are there for you. All right, pursuing conflict for unity's sake. Here's the big idea that I want to communicate throughout this webinar. 
a factual statement that we just have to wrestle with. Sometimes in life, you have to get in a conflict with someone. That is not a cynical statement. It's really not. It's not a negative one. It's not a pessimistic one. I prefer to live in reality. And I've lived long enough to know that a part of living in reality means that conflict will happen, whether in your marriage, if you are married, uh, within your children dynamic, if you have children, within the church, obviously, in the workplace, at school, or any other place where two or more people are gathered, conflict will potentially be there. And the first step in resolving conflict is to live in reality. We don't want to hide this under a rug or bury our heads in the sand. We don't want to live in an illusionary world because if you live in that kind of world, you will never resolve conflict. And so we must deal with the hard realities in our lives. And there is a spiritual hard reality that conflict happens. There's no way around it. It's not a wish. It's not a desire. Nobody's asking for it or I trust is not a prayer request, uh, where you are the person that loves conflict, but I think uh, most people do not. But it is a common sense perspective, conflict, and it comes with living in a sin-cursed world. It is impossible to have two humans living close to each other for an extended period and not have relational conflict. When I talk to couples, like premarital couples about getting married. I, I lay out this, what's going to happen. I can predict your future, at least in part. You see, when you put two sinners in a box, meaning a husband and a wife inside a house, when you put two sinners in a box for an extended period of time, like say the rest of your lives, you're going to have conflict. It's, you're not dating anymore. Dating, you have, inter, you have these breaks all along the way. You date, have a wonderful night together, and then you go to your respective homes and you reboot the next day. You can date for a very long time and not have conflict because we can keep the worst parts of ourselves out of sight. Well, when you choose to get married and become two sinners in a box, well, then it is impossible for two humans to live close to each other for an extended period and not have relational conflict. You see, sin does not accommodate our desires for peace, and sin does not accommodate a hope for the path of least resistance. And so the big idea is that we have to deal with it in this webinar, and I titled it Pursuing Conflict for Unity's Sake. And so that is the goal. And what I hope to present to you over the next little bit are some practical ideas, some steps that can lead you to, conf uh, lead you to conflict resolution, lead you to unity. And I also want to give a little bit of space for the hard reality that sometimes there is no reconciliation. And for some of you, you might say that's most of the time. And so I don't want you, as we're dealing with reality here, that conflict happens, I don't want you to think that every conflict always leads to, well, I know you don't think that, but I want you to know that I, I want to give you some thoughts about how you can live in a state of contentment and and peace in those moments when the conflict doesn't happen because the other person does not want to reconcile. So let's jump into it, pursuing conflict for unity's sake. 
Sin is divisive, no question about it. As I was saying earlier, sin does not accommodate our desires for peace. Uh, Sin does not accommodate our hope for the path of least resistance. Sin is divisive. But as Christians, we are not discouraged. And you can hear that in Paul's language, that we are, we are beat about, but we are not overcome, as he was talking to the Corinthians. Because we are believers, we have some things that do literally make us more than conquerors, practically speaking. And so even though sin is divisive and it is disruptive, we are not discouraged in a long-term sense because we are more than overcomers. Now, of course, when the divisiveness of sin happens in the moment, it can be discouraging, it can be frustrating, it can be exasperating, and whatever other descriptor that you want to use here, but not in a long-term way. Now, if sin, if relational sin is divisive in a long-term way, then you have some questions that you have to ask about your own heart and your own responses to the ongoing divisiveness of the sin and the adverse effect that it's having on you. And I will share some of those things in this webinar. But for us, we're not discouraged in a long-term way. We have the illuminating power, force of the Holy Spirit activated in our hearts. We have a Savior, Christ, who died for our sins and resurrected. We have God the Father sovereignly guiding our lives. And then we have the Word of God that instructs us how to live, how to pursue peace, how to live well with other people. And so we want to activate these means of grace in our lives when sin comes to divide, to destroy, and even to kill us. And so when conflict happens, you have choices that you can make. There are several. At this point, I want to share two of those choices that you can make. You could choose to live superficially with the other person. I do not recommend this. Now, I am aware that that may be the only choice that you have because the other person is unwilling to pursue reconciliation. But at this juncture of the webinar, I want to focus exclusively on the log in your eye, my eye, and not focus on the speck. And so train your mind right now. Uh, Take your thoughts captive right now, especially if you are in a conflict. I don't want you to think of the other person at this juncture. We will get to that other individual in a moment, but I want you to think about yourself. And so when conflict happens, you have a choice. You have several choices. One of those is you can choose to live superficially with that other person. Now, in your heart of hearts, Addressing the log in your eye, you want to plant the flag here and say, I am not going to live superficially with this individual by the grace of God. You see, if you choose to live superficially, well, there's going to be another conflict that's going to happen in your future between you and that other person. And it will be like laying down another layer of soot inside the pipe. Each conflict is one layer of soot if you choose to live superficially. 
And if you do that for 25 or 30 years, that living superficially, another way to describe that is that it is a widening of a gap between you and the other person every time there's another layer laid down between you. And so if you choose to live superficially, you are not removing the thing, that, the sin that happened between you. You choose as a response to, leave superficial, to live superficially, and then when it happens again, it's going to push you farther apart. I was sharing with an individual just recently about folks who get a divorce at 30 or 35 years of age. And, and he was a little bit surprised by that, as many people are. And I told him that, well, that's not a surprise to me, because if people don't have a plan activated in their lives early on to remove sin every time it shows up, then they are laying down this thin layer of soot between them, and it divides them farther and farther. They choose to live superficially. They fill up their lives with things that distract them from each other or make each other tolerable to live with. For example, children become wonderful distractions, and I put wonderful in quotation marks because it's a problem in the context of what I'm speaking. They get busy with work and buying homes and cars and building a life, and then as they move toward the end of life after being married for three decades, and now they're in their 50s and early 60s, and the children aren't there anymore, and things are more settled, and they have time on their hands and they're moving toward retirement, they start looking at each other for the first time maybe in decades and realize that they have been living superficially with each other. And they look at each other from way off because there's such a divide, there's such a gap between them. And so when conflict happens, I appeal to you as you address the log in your eye that you drive that stake in the that flag in the ground and say, I am not going to do that. And so when conflict happens, you can choose to live superficially. When conflict happens, you can choose not to to reconcile. And not to reconcile actually flows out of a choice to live superficially. And so you want to make that decision that you're going to do every single thing that depends upon you to live at peace with all people, specifically that person in which you have a conflict with. Not to reconcile betrays the gospel. Those means of grace that I was speaking about earlier, the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit, the, the uh, life, death, resurrection, ascension, mediation of Jesus Christ, the providential sovereign care of God, and the instruction that we have of God's Word, we deny all those things. If we drive another kind of stake in the ground and say, I will not be moved, I'm not even going to give it my best shot to reconcile with, those per with that person. As a Christian, that is an untenable attitude to take. It is like a hapless hospital. You go to the hospital, you know exactly what to expect. There are attendants there and nurses there and surgeons there. There's an administrative staff there, and they have all the paraphernalia that they need to take care of the physically inhibited person. But none of that happens. That's not your experience. 
None of those things are available. Not to reconcile betrays all the paraphernalia of the, of the gospel, and it's like a hapless hospital. And so part of what we want to do is just recognize, recognize that we live on a battlefield. There is no way to walk through this world and not get in conflict from time to time, even if you're the person who absolutely does not want it. You don't pray for it, desire it, or make a wish. But we do live on a battlefield. And to ignore it is a form of self-centered laziness. And what I mean by that is the two great commandments is to love God and love others more than ourselves. And so rather than esteeming ourselves, self-centered, more than the other individual, we want to seek reconciliation. Perhaps that other person is not a believer. You want to do all that depends upon you to reconcile with that person with the hope of sharing the transformative gospel, that which you possess with them so they can experience what you have maybe they are a Christian, then there is a fracture in the body of Christ, and that too is not tenable. And to think more about yourself than the other person or God, to love God and love others more than ourselves, there is a laziness involved. I call it a self-centered laziness. And you don't want to slack away from it. But If you choose not to slack away from the conflict, that means the conflict, more than likely, will intensify. And I know you've had this moment where you had conflict with someone, and you chose to do the things that I'm appealing to me and you and all of us to do. You chose to enter into it for the purpose of reconciliation. You chose not to slack away. And you know that when you slack away, it's going to intensify the conflict, at least at the beginning. It's like standing before a mountain, and the mountain you must climb. But you know when you start climbing, it's going to be worse than you thought. It's going to be harder than you anticipated. It's going to be an arduous journey. And so you choose not to slack away. And so understanding these realities is important. And so you decide that you're going to do all that depends upon you. You're not going to slack away. You're not going to be beholding to self-centered laziness. And you are very much aware that as you step into this with this individual, It's going to intensify the conflict, at least for the moment. Now, one of the best illustrations of this, of course, is the life of Christ. As you read his life through the four Gospels, you see that this man, this man, was like always in conflict, big and small. The Pharisees hated him, and you could say that his friends hated him, too, at least at the end, when they denied him. I mean, you would put the... You would put their denial and walk in a way of Jesus. You you would put that in the you wouldn't put it in the context of love. And so if love and hate are the two categories that you have at the top of the page, well, it would go under the hate column. And so the Pharisees hated him, obviously. They were anti-Christ. And his friends at moments were anti-Christ as well. And so it didn't matter whether it was his enemies, of course there's conflict, or your friends, of course, there will be conflict. But Jesus Christ never flinched 
from his father's call on his life. He came to do the will of his father. Another way to say that for us is what Paul told us, that whatever we do, that we seek to glorify God, that that becomes our chief aim of glorifying God. If you're glorifying God, it's like a gravitational pull that just pulls you through life. It doesn't allow you to slack away. It doesn't allow you to bury your head in the sand. It doesn't allow you to live in superficiality. It's like you're tethered to this cable, and this cable is just pulling you through life, and, and, and this cable is, keeps you glorifying God all the way through life. Well, that's similar to the way Jesus moved through this world. He was so dialed in. He was so fixed on doing the will of his Father that even when people hated him, he was not discombobulated by that. He was not managed by other people's sin. He kept moving on that straight line of doing the will of his Father. And Christians can do that too. It may not be a straight line. It may be more zigzaggy for us. But nevertheless, our trajectory, our trend is moving forward. And if your chief aim is to glorify God or do the will of the Father, you will adjust your heart in these moments of conflict, and part of glorifying God will be a desire to pursue conflict resolution for unity's sake. And so which will it be? And so as you work through this webinar, we're talking about conflict resolution. At this juncture, I want to ask you a series of questions. And maybe you have someone that you're in conflict with at this moment, Perhaps you're in that sweet spot between conflict. Great for you. Perhaps if you are in that place, you can think about the last conflict that you had. But what I want you to do is to settle on these questions and that you nail these questions so that either the conflict that you're in now or the future conflict that is sure to come, you have already made this decision. You see, one of the things that I would love to see happen here, if you make decisions before events happen, when the event happens, you already know what you're going to do. We decided that a long time ago, so we know what to do in this moment. It reminds me when Lucia and I got married early on in our marriage, we, we made a rule. And the rule was that we would never make an expensive purchase the first time we hear it. We made a rule. We drove a stake in the ground. And it didn't matter how awesome that sales pitch was from that smiling, toothy salesperson. We weren't going to buy it. Not on first hearing. We would go home. We would talk. We would pray. We would talk to others, possibly. We'd think through it, mull over it, take as much time as we need, and then we would make a decision, yay or nay. That's the beauty of determining what you're going to do before you have to do it. And then when the event happens, you already know how you're going to respond. And so there have, there have been many times since in our marriage where we heard the deal of a lifetime, an offer we could not refuse, and our statement was always the same. Uh, thank you for that. We're going to take this information. We're going to go home, and we're going to think about it. 
because there was once upon a time where we got burned because we made an impulsive decision, because it was an offer that we did not refuse. It was a deal of a lifetime. It was a vacuum cleaner, and we do not own that very expensive vacuum cleaner any longer. And so when it comes to conflict resolution, I would love for you to think through these questions that I'm about to ask you. Nail them down so that when the conflict comes, you already have a game plan and you can be moving through it. Because one of the problems is, is that when you're in the heat of the moment, it's hard to think with clarity. You're, the, the hayloft is on fire. The hayloft is full of smoke. And you can't think that clearly. And so if you have already worked through a strategy, a game plan, then you're in a good place for objective decision-making in moments to where you need to have that kind of objectivity. So question number one is, which will it be? Are you going to choose superficiality? You're going to choose not to reconcile? Are you going to choose to activate the gospel, these means of grace that God offers us through the Trinity, the Spirit of God who eliminates us, the risen Savior who died for us, the Father who superintends over our lives, the Word of God that gives us instruction, will we activate these means of grace because we're going to do everything that we can possibly do to reconcile this situation? So question number one, which will it be? Will I choose superficiality or will I choose pursuing? Question number two is shallow friends or biblical ones. It's another way of saying the same thing, but I wanted to frame it this way because there is a richness in biblical friends, and I want to make an appeal. I, I, I want to paint a picture that biblical friends are better than shallow ones. Now, maybe you have both, but if you have shallow friends, you know how unsatisfying it is. You can only eat so much ice cream and eat so many cookies until finally it's just like, I want real food. <laughs> you know, you can only drink so many sodas, and it's like, no, I want a healthy drink. And so biblical friends are rich. Biblical friends are valuable. Biblical friends are refreshing. And so as you think about which one will it be, superficial or pursuing, another way of saying that is shallow friends and biblical friends. Now, another question is what depends upon you? We have to get here, and we have to talk about it because all of you probably have thought up to this point that, well, the title of the, pod, uh, the webinar, Pursuing Conflict for Unity's Sake, what if unity doesn't happen? That is, a very, that is a valid question. It is a real outcome that unity doesn't always happen. For some of you, it may be that unity doesn't happen most of the time. I, I don't know. But all of us have had those relationships that were broken, conflict happened, and unity was not the end result. And so now you have to ask the question, what depends on me? And again, that keeps that focus. We're still on that focus of the log in your eye, because you don't want to move the accent along to where the accent mark is on the other person, and you do not have a strategy for yourself. 
you do not have a game plan to pursue reconciliation because you you immediately jump to the other person and you're focusing on the spec and you haven't spent due diligence on the eye and uh, on the log in your eye and so you do have to ask the question what depends on you and that comes right out of Paul's playbook in Romans 12 on conflict resolution i want to share this passage with you i'll read it out But there is phrase after phrase after phrase in this passage. This is 16 through 21 in Romans 12. And you can go back into Romans 12 and start at verse 16 and just pull out these phrases and run them down a sheet of paper. Just write them out, one phrase after the other. And that will give you your marching papers. It will give you a marching orders. It will give you a strategy on how to do your part in trying to seek reconciliation. Here's what the passage says. Live in harmony with one another. That's one, that's a sentence. Now that's the goal, okay? That's the goal. And then he gets into the strategy. Be not, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And so as you think about the other person, do you have an elevated attitude toward them? The key word there is self-righteous. Do you have a self-righteous attitude toward them? Are you looking down on that other person? Now, for some of you, this will be a challenge, depending on what has happened to you. Uh, Many of you know parts of my story. Uh, My sister-in-law murdered my brother, shot him five times with a pistol in 1997, in April 1997. And we have not reconciled. We have not reconciled in all of these years. And so rather than me being being incarcerated by what she did and looking down on her, I have to do that work in my heart. And as you listen to me talk about her, what you won't hear is a haughty attitude. You won't hear an arrogance. You you won't hear shaming and and just a bad attitude, a toxic attitude that you hear from some people who have been victimized by others because they haven't applied these things that Paul is teaching in Romans 12 to their lives. And so doing what depends upon you, part of it is be, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And if the, ever, if the time ever came where she wanted forgiveness and sought forgiveness and wanted to transact forgiveness, then in that case, she would be, she would be a low, uh, she would be that person uh, that is coming in humility and seeking forgiveness. And I cannot have a haughty attitude toward a person coming to me in a humility. I can't carry uh, a bad attitude forever and ever, a self-righteous, elevated attitude over a person forever and ever. Paul says, never be wise in your own sight, meaning that there has to be an element of self-suspicion, a modicum of self-suspicion in how you perceive things. Compare what you know uh, to what God knows. Compare your finiteness to infinity. There's an infographic on our website that shows the globe, and then there's a, a dot on the globe, just a small pinpoint dot, and then there's a caption this is what you know, the dot, and then the globe is what God knows. God knows everything that's happening in the world, knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts, knows the beginning from the end. That's what he knows. And then what we know is just a dot 
on the globe. And so there has to be a modicum of self-suspicion about what we know and how we think things just happen between you and the other person. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. All this falls within the umbrella of doing what depends upon you. You leave revenge to God. He says, give no thought to do what is, uh, but give thought rather to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Don't repay evil, do the right thing. And then here's the key phrase that I'm actually focusing on. If possible, I love the conditional statement here. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul goes on to say, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. And, and I like the, the action in that last sentence, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. You see, you can't take a neutral position. That is not possible. You will either be overcoming evil by good, or you will be overcome by evil. Those are the two options. You can't, you can't kick the car in neutral and expect it not to move. It will move one way or the other. So do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. All of this, all of these statements here can be pushed into this one statement so far as it depends upon you. Do all that you can to be at peace. And so are you overcoming evil with good? What does that mean? Now, if you are in a conflict right now, perhaps it would be good to talk to a competent, a biblically competent friend and share the situation with that individual and ask their input and talk to them about what you're doing and what you're thinking. Are you overcoming evil with good? Is that gossip when you share a conflict that you're having with an individual with another? It doesn't have to be. If you are talking to a biblically competent person, a person who, who can actually speak into it in a competent way, and if you have an attitude that's not gossipy or slanderous, as the words of your mouth will reveal your heart, and it doesn't sound like a toxic kind of conversation or communication that you're having with that other person. You can tell when, pers when a person is talking about a situation, you can hear the words that they say, which reveal their hearts, and you can tell where they are with their heart. You can tell the motivation of their heart by how they talk about it. If, if you go to a biblically competent person with a heart of humility, with a desire for reconciliation, they will hear that. They will know that. And in that situation and context, it would not be gossip. Now, if you go and you're just gossiping, uh, what we see on social media, you're just slandering the other person, then you're not really seeking reconciliation. And so when I say, you know, maybe it would be good to go talk to another individual about this question, are you overcoming evil with good? And sharing what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you plan to do, what you hope to do, what you thought about doing, it doesn't necessarily have to be sinful for you to share in the way that I have constructed that conversation with that other person. Question number two, do you desire to reconcile? 
All of this falls under the umbrella of what depends on you. Are you overcoming evil with good? Do you desire to reconcile? Is that your heart's desire? This may be a bigger question for you than than what you might imagine, uh, because reconciliation sometimes can create uh, inhibitors and obstacles in our life, and we just don't want to do it because maybe uh, the individual has done such and such or they are such a kind of person that you really just don't want to reconcile. But again, what depends on you? You have to have a desire to do it. Question number three, what is your strategy? And I trust through this webinar you are developing a strategy as we're focusing primarily of what's going on in your heart, the attitude that you have for the person, the people that you want to surround yourself, the help that you need in order to work through how to reconcile with the person. Number four, what is the content of your prayers regarding your heart? One of the best illustrations of this is the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians. You know what those two letters were were about, First and Second Corinthians. There was full-on conflict between the Corinthians and Paul. They did not like him. That would be a a gross understatement. But Paul did what was dependent upon him. And part of what was dependent upon him was his heart attitude. As I was talking about earlier, do you desire to reconcile? But now I'm asking, what's the content of your prayers regarding your heart? And that gets a little more pointed about your desires And so if you read the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians, you actually hear Paul talking about how he prayed for these Corinthians. You see the content of some of his prayers for the Corinthians. Part of that was gratitude for them, thanking God for them, and having a desire to reconcile, and the encouragement in there, and the hope that he has for them. And so as you think about the content of your prayers, maybe it would be a helpful exercise to go through the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians and just mirror what Paul says in those nine verses to the desires of your heart and the content of your praying. And then finally, how are you asking God to bring about reconciliation. There's primary cause and there's secondary cause. Primary cause is God is the mover. He is the shaker. God is the sovereign one who does things. But we're not robots. We're not robots without choices. I do not understand the complete mystery of that. But two things I do know, God is sovereign, primary cause, primary cause agent, and we are secondary cause agents, that we have a responsibility in the matter. And so you want to be asking God to do what he can do. And that ties into what I was saying earlier about the content of your prayers. And so part of the content of your prayers is pleading with God uh, to orchestrate things in such a way that reconciliation can happen. But then you just can't sit back and say, go God. No, there's a secondary cause. We are active participants in this life that we have with God. And so as you ask God to bring about reconciliation, as I said earlier, I asked the question, what is your strategy? You also want to be developing a strategy that has to be more than just asking God to bring about reconciliation. And so it is a a three-part dance. There's three of you. There is sovereign God. There's you 
who has no other desire but to do everything that is dependent upon you to reconcile with this other person, and then there's the other individual. How can a Christian carry a grudge or a lousy attitude toward another Christian for an indefinite period and not seek to repair the relationship? This posture is gospel insanity. As I was talking earlier about these means of grace that we have in the Trinity, the illuminating spirit, the Savior, the Sovereign Father, and, of course, the means of grace through the instruction of God's Word, that's gospel insanity not to use those things. That's the hapless hospital that I was talking about. And so gospel insanity looks like this, a Christian who carries a grudge or a lousy attitude toward another Christian for an indefinite period and does not seek to repair the relationship. Now, I add this this descriptor here of indefinite period because you can carry a grudge. I've carried grudges. I've had lousy attitudes. I think I've had more lousy attitudes than grudge carrying. I'm not much of a grudge carrier. That never seemed to fit well with me. But lousy attitude kind of fits nicely with me, unfortunately. And maybe there's some other way to describe your attitude and heart condition toward another person. But how can a Christian carry a grudge or a lousy attitude or fill in the blank toward another Christian for an indefinite period of time? You can have it for a little bit, but the Spirit of God illuminates and brings conviction, and you do not want to grieve or quench the Spirit of God. And so you want to do all that depends upon you to repair that relationship. Again, not to do that is absolute gospel insanity. And so one of the things you can address, what is going on in your heart, when we hold our hearts, uh, hold our hurts, what is going on in our hearts when we hold our hurts, while not living in the miserable, immeasurable grace the Father provides. And so we really want to do an appropriate examination of our hearts to see what in the world is going on uh, when we're not taking advantage of these this immeasurable grace that the Father pursues. Because we can get in a situation to where we just absolutely do not like that individual, and we do not do all that depends upon us. And so let's say that an altercation happens. You have a, a conflict. When that happens, a reconciliation plan is an absolute must. And what I was talking about earlier, you want to work through this before the conflict happens, before the hay is set on fire and the hay loft is full of smoke and clarity is lost. When you lose sovereign clarity in a relational dust-up, then it's very difficult to enact those reconciliation plans. That's why you really want to wrestle through the things I'm sharing uh, in this webinar. Not to enact those reconciliation plans and that strategy is a gospel dysfunction of the heart. And so if you know someone who is in a conflict with another individual and they're not doing everything— one of them, or both of them for that matter, are not doing everything that depends upon them, you want to you you then want to come alongside them as your brother's keeper, and you want to address the gospel dysfunction of the heart because obviously, when a person takes the position that I don't like you and they're not doing 
all that depends upon them to reconcile, there is a gospel breakdown of the heart. Now, it could be that the person is not regenerate. Now, if the person is not a Christian, then those means of grace are off the table. The natural man cannot perceive these spiritual means of grace. And so there is no power, there is no energy, there is no transcending force working in that person. And that is a question that you may want to ask, because you could be imploring them to do something that they can't possibly do because conflict resolution is a God-centered, God-activated activity between two people. And so if they are not choosing to reconcile, you do want to assess as best you can, understanding that it is a subjective assessment at best. You know, is this person a Christian at all? And then if they are a believer, the best that you can subjectively assess such a thing, you need to start working through what in the world is the breakdown in their hearts? What is this gospel dysfunction? And then you may get to the place to where one of them wants to reconcile, but the other one does not. And I want to speak to that because I've been talking a lot about do what depends on you, and all of us know uh, that in every situation, it's just not going to end in unity. And so there, there, are, there, there will be those relationships where conflict happens where you're not going to reconcile. Probably the most important thing that I can tell you is that you cannot take the role of a victim. A victim, the word victim, the etymology of the word victim is vicarious. You're familiar with the word vicarious in theology. Jesus was our vicarious Savior. He took our sin. He was a substitute. That's what he was. And so he carried our sin on him. He was vicarious. He was a victim. He was a legitimate victim. When someone sins against you and there is conflict, and it goes on for an indefinite period, and there is not reconciliation, this is where you have to guard your heart. You cannot take on their sin. You have to cast your cares on the Lord. Jesus is the only person that can carry sin, whether it's yours or someone else's. You can't carry your own sin. It will take you to hell. And so you ask God to regenerate you, and Jesus takes all of your sin, past, present, and future. And then when someone sins against you, you can't carry that sin for a long period of time because sin, the sin of another person, will wreak havoc on you. And so you have to begin to place that sin on Christ. I'm not suggesting that you are forgiving them. I'm not suggesting that they are forgiven. But what I am suggesting is that you cannot self-incarcerate yourself because of the sin of another. Because if you continue to be the vicarious sufferer of another person's sin rather than casting that on Christ, then there will be a word cloud of other sins that will begin to gather around your heart and it will take your mind captive. Uh, things like revenge is what Paul was talking about in Romans 12. 
uh, this attitude of haughtiness, as he was talking about as well, cynicism and anger and even despair and depression. We can't carry our sin or anyone else's. And so when non-reconciliation happens, you have to choose that I am not going to be the victim of what they did. Now, I've already illustrated in this webinar of my uh, sister-in-law murdering my brother. I had to work through this thing this very thing that I am communicating with you. Reconciliation has not happened up to this point. But I could harbor on her sin. I could harbor on what happened. I can make a case in the most colorful ways of of what she did. But as I continue to focus on it in that wrong kind of way, it will begin to have a deteriorating effect on my own soul. And I will become that toxic person that you do not want to be. And so one of the most essential things that you'll have to wrestle through when reconciliation doesn't happen is how to keep from becoming that victim. Now, I have an entire webinar, one-hour webinar that you're welcome to watch. It is free to you. Jump on our ministry's website and you can watch it about overcoming the victim mindset. This idea is so important that I can't cover it in this webinar. It needs more time and 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 more um, opportunity for all of us to deal with this reality because we've all been in conflict. We've had situations where it wasn't reconciled, and somehow we had to be victors, not victims, in an unreconcilable situation. And so we have to learn how not to become that vicarious sufferer. Now, if you do reconcile with that individual, and it does happen as well, well, I mean, it is possible that you can become best friends. Some of my best friends are those that I've had the most conflict with. And the number one of those people, obviously, is my wife. I have sinned against her more than any other human on the planet. I have sinned against, or she has sinned against me more than any other human on the planet because we're two sinners in a box, and we have been living in a box together for a long time. And so if you practice the process of reconciliation where you're not laying down a thin layer of soot Uh, inside the pipe every time you sin against each other, but you're cleaning it out. Uh, You're cleaning it out. Uh, Then the gap between you and them is not widening. Actually, it is coming closer together. You will have a deeper quantania with a person that you sin against and reconcile with than a person that you don't get in conflict with. Because when you sin against someone and you Uh, rectify, reconcile the conflict, you have activated the gospel's power. And so both of you enjoy a richness. You have seen God in action. You have seen these means of grace. It's like you're not just watching a movie, but you are the active participants in this movie of what God is doing in your lives together. You're battling the foe of sin. It's you two battling the sin monster together, and you gain victory. And you know how that goes in all the movies, that the people who battle the foe and win, they just become closer and closer to each other. 
And also, when you sin that way against another person and reconcile, they have seen the other side of your life, the sinful side. You see, most of us, we live in superficial relationships where we only present the best side of ourselves to each other. We don't see the heinous side of our lives. Our lives is a Facebook post, is a Facebook profile. I call that our representative. It's, it's the person who represents us. They represent the best parts of us. But when you get in a situation where you sin against someone, all the fig leaves come off. There's no hiding anymore. There's nothing left. They've seen the best parts of you, and they've seen the worst parts of you, and there's nothing to hide, and there's nothing to defend. And so not only have you defeated the sin monster together, and become closer, but you have seen as much as you can see the completeness of each other. You have a fuller understanding of each other than any other human in your life because you've gone to the mat together and the dark side has come out and you've seen something that you thought you would never see and you activated gospel power and you reconciled. Now that is a setup to, to, to creating one of the best friends that you could ever have. Now, I am not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that you <laughs> go get in a conflict so that, hey, you want to be best friends? Well, let's get into a conflict. Now, maybe that is a good premarital strategy, and maybe I need to think through this, that when I do premarital counseling, it's like, do you want to be best friends? Of course. Well, then y'all just need to get in a fight. Or maybe you could say it this way. You're going to get married. Your goal is to be best friends. You're going to get in conflict when you get married. And so if you want to be best friends, you better learn how to resolve your conflict. And if you do, you will be best friends. Now, perhaps you've done everything that is dependent upon you, but you don't reconcile with the other person. Now, perhaps... You've done everything that you can possibly do, but you don't reconcile with the other person. And again, as I've said several times now, that is a possibility. You want to make sure that you have the right attitude toward that other person that you never reconcile with, or maybe it's just ongoing for a long time and you eventually reconcile sometime in the future. But this is the attitude that you want. Now, this statement that I'm going to share with you is not mine. It is someone who shared it with me multiple decades ago, and I don't remember the person's name. But I was struggling mightily in an unreconcilable relationship, and he was concerned about my attitude toward this person. And this is what he said. I can't make you love me, but you can't stop me from loving you. And that quote was so important that I've remembered it all of these decades and it just had an imprinting effect uh, on my mind. And this is the attitude that you really have to have. It, it is an, it's an attitude of action that goes in a particular direction, and it's not retreat. It's an action toward that other person. You, you, I can't make you love me. can't make it happen, but you can't stop me from loving you. Now, this part about stop me from loving you, specifically loving, you have to define that because most, I think many people would hear that, you know, well, you can't stop me from loving you. That means I'm going to send you flowers and, you know, give you free 
tickets to the theater, et cetera, et cetera. It may mean that. But sometimes loving you means Matthew 18 as well. And so when you think about the word love, you want to broaden it out to cover the entire spectrum of what love can encompass. And love can encompass flowers. And it can also encompass Matthew 18. And so that is the full spectrum. Matthew 18 is church discipline, starting at verse 15, if you're unfamiliar with that text. And so when he said, I can't make you love me, but you can't stop me from loving you, Sometimes you love someone, you want to love them so much that you will do a hard thing for them. So, for example, uh, Jesus talking to the rich young ruler. Jesus loved him by saying something that, from the rich young ruler's perspective, was impossibly hard. And the rich young ruler walked away. But Jesus loved him in that moment. He loved him so much that he said an impossibly hard thing. So if you don't reconcile, one of the things that, I mean, I I think is the primary thing that you want to address in your own heart is this statement here. Can you own this statement? Not just own it, but can you define what love is according to the full spectrum and then live it out practically in that individual's life. The title of the webinar is Pursuing Conflict for Unity's Sake. I want to wrap up here by giving you a few questions. The first one is, describe a time when you got into a conflict with someone and reconciled. Here's the question. What were a few things you learned about God, about yourself, during that awkward season? So a time where you got in a conflict and you did reconcile, what did you learn about God, about yourself? Number two, describe a relationship that remains fractured. Have you done all that is dependent on you? If not, what do you need to do? Now, as you answer the question, what do you need to do, my follow-up is, will you run this by a friend to gain their perspective? That goes back to what I was saying earlier, talking to a biblically competent friend out of a heart of humility, of reconciliation, not a heart of gossip and slander. And so it's a relationship that remains fractured. Have you done all that is dependent on you? If not, what do you need to do? And then weigh that, have that weighed by a competent biblical friend, run it by them to gain their perspective. And then finally, if you have done all that you should, are you resting in the Lord's grace, meaning you're not a victim? You're not a vicarious sufferer. You're not continuing, continually, day in and day out, rehearsing their sin, what they did to you, carrying their sin, basically. Now, the way to know if you are doing all, if you are resting in the Lord's grace is by how you talk about that person. That is a good sign to know if you're truly resting in the Lord's grace by how you talk about that talk about that person. If you're critical or unkind in your speech, well, you have some hard work to do. The title of the webinar is Pursuing Conflict for Unity's Sake. I am so glad for those of you who have watched the full keynote presentation. Thank you so much. You are more than welcome to share this with a friend. For those of you who have listened by audio, thank you so much for listening to the audio. As well, you can share the audio with a friend, too. It would bless me immensely if you would partner with us that way by spreading these resources freely to anyone in the world, the practical message of Jesus Christ. For those of you who aren't supporting us, please do understand that these resources are they are free, but nothing is really free. 
we give them out freely on the front end, but on the back end where the machine sits, uh, there's a lot of equipment and there's a, a lot of people who work for us and there's a lot happening behind the curtain that nobody hardly sees. And so please understand that these resources aren't free in that context. We need people supporting us financially. And so if you benefit if you benefit by any of our resources, have benefited by this particular webinar, and you are able, please don't go on a guilt trip. Uh, that is not my aim at all. Everybody is not able. But according to the ability that you have and the desire that you have, uh, if you could support our ministry, we could really use your help. We want to continue not just doing what we're doing, but we want to continue to build more and better resources as well because our passion is to reach as many people as possible with the practical message of Jesus Christ so they can get these tools. It impacts their lives personally, and it impacts their relationships. We have many, many testimonies that affirm this. We know that we're doing the right thing. We know that that God is satisfied with this ministry because of what he is doing through us, and we want to continue uh, to grow and to reach more people. And if you can help us with our production cost and the other things that we need to uh, run this ministry, I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening, pursuing conflict for unity's sake. I am Rick Thomas. God bless. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.